0: Hello all, and welcome to the Stacked Intent Podcast. I am Becca Stackhouse Morrison, and I look forward to having you join us as we go along with relationships, finance, and nutrition. We're gonna look at the DNA of how you can take those life and dreams that may be stuck, scattered, and help give you some resources for mapping out a plan. My background is social sciences, and I have a certification for family life education. So I look forward to sharing those with you throughout the podcast. We're gonna have lots of fun. As you tune in each week to become authentically you, you're going to look at the ways that you can be your authentic self and be intentional with yourself. You'll laugh, you'll cry, and you're gonna finish each episode being motivated to live your life more authentically. But in these specific episodes, we are gonna have a special co-host And we're going to let her introduce herself. Hey my name is Ashley Guerin and I'm a University of Georgia Family and Consumer Sciences Extension agent for both
1: Candler and Evans counties in the southeastern part of the state of Georgia. I'm excited to be here today and I have a background in nutrition from an education standpoint and then also from a community standpoint. And this is something I'm super passionate about and I'm excited to work with Becca to talk more about being intentional in the food that you choose and the things
0: that you put into your body. Hello guys and welcome to the Stacked Intent podcast where we are gonna discuss and drop tips on how you can intentionally stack your life. I am Becca, the owner of Stacked Intent and we have our co-host Ashley with us today who is the Family and Consumer Science County Extension agent over in Georgia, and she is joining us to talk about pre-diabetes, diabetes, diabetes, and and your risks. So, let's get started. Welcome, Ashley.
1: Hey. Yeah, we're going to talk about diabetes, and we're going to just jump right in. Um, This is a topic that, in Extension, we get to do a lot of programming around, and unfortunately, it is something that We do know in Georgia, um, our counties, we have a pretty high prevalence of diabetes, but we are going to talk about risk factors and talk about some lifestyle modifications that you can make to reduce your risk. So we'll jump right in. What is diabetes? Becca, what do you know about diabetes from your experience? I
0: know that you can have diabetes at multiple levels. You can either be born and it's something that you are born with having a problem with it's something that can either be genetic and so it develops over your life it can happen from the way you live your lifestyle or it can also happen during pregnancy yeah exactly
1: all those are are correct so there are different types of diabetes and I, I think that sometimes we get a little confused when someone says that they are diabetic um, and it doesn't make a lot of sense sometimes when, when we hear that children are, are have diabetes. Um, but we do know that type one, type two, and gestational diabetes are the three main types. So type one is where your body cannot make its own insulin. And insulin is needed for blood sugar regulation. So your body breaks down most of the food that you eat into sugar or glucose, and then it's released into your bloodstream. When your blood sugar goes up, it signals your pancreas to release that insulin, which acts like a key to let the blood sugar in your body cells for use as energy. So, it's a very intricate process. But this type of diabetes is often diagnosed during childhood or in teenagers and young adults. So, also known as juvenile diabetes. With type 1, the body attacks itself by mistake, also essentially like a, an autoimmune disorder. So, the body attacks itself by mistake. And this type of diabetes requires daily intake of insulin to survive. So people that have type 1 diabetes have to take insulin for their entire life. Um, So currently there's no cure or prevention for type 1 diabetes. And type 1 makes up about 5 to 10% of those diagnosed with diabetes as a whole. So type 2 is different. So that's that one that you were talking about um, is largely largely contributed to our lifestyle factors so in type 2 diabetes your body does not use insulin well and your blood sugar cannot be maintained at normal levels this type is considered a chronic disease meaning that it develops over many years and it's usually diagnosed in adults about 90 to 95 percent of people with diabetes have type 2 okay. lastly are okay. just <laughs> yeah that's a lot of people so, but when you think about diabetes as a whole, when you say like you said like people with diabetes, that that population or that community. So um, of all the diagnoses of diabetes, five to ten percent would be type one, and then that additional 90 to 95% would be type two. So yeah, um, type one is a is a much smaller population, and that's the one again that you're that you're born with. Gestational diabetes is the third main type. And it develops in pregnant women who have never had diabetes, and it can create a greater risk for health problems for babies that are born from moms who have developed gestational diabetes. So the mom has gestational, it can create a larger risk for the babies that are born from that pregnancy. Um, While gestational diabetes typically goes away after the baby's born, it does increase your risk as the mom for developing type 2 later in life as well as increasing the risk for your child to develop obesity as a child or teen and develop type two later in life as well. So that gestational one, that's one that was not as commonly talked about. Um, So again, only occurs in pregnant women who have not previously had diabetes. Um, It's just specific to that gestation period typically goes away after you've had your baby, but you now are at increased risk. And as, your child is at increased risk for developing diabetes later in life too
0: wow that's interesting Mm -hmm. so are there ways how do we know if we're a pre-diabetic and what are some things and risk factors that come into play that we might be able to change our lifestyle so we don't get there
1: Mm -hmm. so I'm glad that you mentioned the term pre-diabetic so Pre-diabetic is not necessarily Mm -hmm. a diagnosis. However, um, it does affect more than one in three million adults. So pre-diabetes is the stage in which your blood sugar levels are higher than normal, but not high enough for a type two diagnosis. So pre-diabetes increases the risk for type two diabetes, heart disease and stroke. We do know that there are certain risk factors that are associated with each type of diabetes, some being modifiable, which means that you can change them, others being non modifiable, meaning that you have no control over them. Becca, what are some things that you would think of, like risk factor wise, that you would not necessarily have control over?
0: Don't have control over my family's history or my race or my age exactly right as much as we would like to think we could change our age we cannot
1: (laughs) so we don't have control over that um, but those are risk factors that are associated with type 2 diabetes so your family's history if you've had somebody in your family with type 2 diabetes um depending on your your race and then also your age for type 1 diabetes having a parent a brother or sister with type 1 is a known risk factor for you developing type 1 For type 2, your non-modifiable risk factors, those ones that you can't control, are, again, your age. So 45 years or older puts you at greater risk. If you have a parent, brother, or sister with type 2 diabetes, so again, family history, or your race. So African-American, Hispanic, or Latino, American Indian, or Alaskan Native are at greater risk of developing type 2 diabetes. But, again, those things we don't really have control over. But the good news is there are some risk factors that you can control. So some things that you can change to reduce your risk. Do you know somebody with diabetes?
0: I've had several people in my life. I used to swim with somebody that had type one. And I mean, she just had to be very mindful of how and what she ate. And when she was swimming, she had to be ready with snacks Yep. Be able to balance that back out, and then um, yeah, I've known some people with type two diabetes, and it can also lead to more than just your health, but it can also start eating away at your skin. Yep.
1: Yep. So, so there are some symptoms that are, are pretty common with diabetes, including frequent urination, increased thirst, blurry vision, numbness or tingling of the hands and feet, hunger weight loss without trying, tiredness, very dry skin, sores that heal slowly, and increased infections. So it's important to recognize these symptoms of type 2 diabetes often. Um, it's important to recognize that some of these symptoms do take several years to develop, and some people just don't notice any symptoms at all. So really the only way to tell or the only true test is to, to have your blood sugar tested. So your blood sugar is going to be the the ultimate um, deciding factor on if you have diabetes or not. Because, again, some people may not experience those different symptoms. Or if they do, it might just be part of their normal daily life and they don't recognize that anything is different.
0: Yeah, sometimes that what's normal to you is not necessarily normal to everybody. Right. Yeah. So so if you do if you
1: do have concerns um have your blood sugar tested at your doctor's office. And that's something to, that's a good idea to have tested regularly anyways. So that way your doctor can monitor if you do have changes in your blood sugar over time. So if they start to notice a big difference there, that may be an opportunity to look into some of your, your your lifestyle factors um, before you get to that point of being diagnosed um, as type
0: two diabetic. So Blood test that's how we're going to find out exactly, right? But what are lifestyle modifications that we may be able to do that might reduce our risk of that, of being pre-diabetic or pushing ourselves into that diabetes?
1: Yep. So the biggest, the biggest factor is going to be your diet. So what you put in your body matters. And especially so when you're trying to make a lifestyle change to promote good health. So when you are on the verge um, of developing diabetes, you might have gotten to that point of, of being, of your doctor telling you, hey, you, you are pre-diabetic, meaning that you're not far from being diagnosed as type 2. This is kind of the, the point in time to really kick it into gear. So essentially, you would love to, to modify those risk factors before you get to that point. But we do know that changing the way that you eat involves paying attention and being mindful the carbohydrate intake and focusing on foods that are higher in fiber and lower in processed foods that contain high amounts of sugar such as white bread, pastries, white flour pastas, fruit juices, and anything with high fructose corn syrup. So when we talk about fiber-rich foods you may have heard that fiber is good for your digestive system and it's also good for many other functions too. And fiber-rich foods help to promote weight loss and to help lower your risk of type two diabetes. So, Becca, can you think of some foods that might be good sources of fiber?
0: You know, our some skins of our um, fruits, and then some things that are in our vegetables that aren't necessarily things that are our starchy vegetables. Um. Those are some of the good places of receiving and getting fiber in our, in our foods.
1: Yep. Yep. So examples of foods, like you said, um, fruits, so the skin or peel of fruits, your non-starchy vegetables, legumes. say so like um, your chickpeas, lentils, things like that, and whole grains. It's also important to pay attention to your fat sources. So we talk a lot about about grains and carbohydrates and sugar, Um, But paying attention to your fat sources is important as well, because there are good fats and not so good fats. So the good fats are your unsaturated fats that promote high or healthy blood cholesterol levels and good heart health, such as olive oil, nuts and seeds and fatty fish like salmon and tuna. So we want to try to avoid saturated fat sources as much as possible. So um, when we think about saturated fat, that's something that it would be like solid fat at room temperature. So if you took a stick of butter out of the refrigerator and put it on the counter, it's not going to immediately melt into a liquid. So it's going to hold and maintain that shape. So when we talk about saturated fat, I always try to to have people visualize your your arteries. So imagine if you just shoved that stick of butter into your arteries. Yeah, that's what like cholesterol buildup would look like. So We want to avoid that because it restricts your blood flow to your heart and to your brain and other parts of your body. And that's what um, can cause heart attacks or strokes. So it's also important to pay attention to your fat sources too. And portion control is key to managing your dietary intake. And you can do portion control like using measuring cups or scales. Um, I use, I love these little portion control lunch containers. So in my lunch container, it has a section that says one cup. It also has a section that says two cups, so that's a really easy um, guide for me to know if I'm getting one or two cups of grains, or if I'm getting one or one or two servings of um, a protein source, or, or vegetables or fruit. But portion control, measuring cups, and scales can help you keep track of how much food you are consuming. So if you're to a point where you have to track your carbohydrate intake, um, and if you're following like a, a recommended diet from your doctor or dietitian that's going to be the best way that you can truly keep track of of what's going into your body
0: yeah I like to use the I've got some cups that are specific to like the size the color size coordinates to like protein fruits vegetables and I like to measure my food that way I that. my husband prefers to go down to the grams of things that to me does not work it frustrates me yeah, so, so- different ways different people
1: that's interesting yeah a scale like a digital scale you can do it that way um Mm -hmm. but you're you're basically just doing volume versus weight and whatever works for you so that's awesome though I like the idea of using the the containers or the cups that are color-coded for the food group
0: well and what it helps do is is now I had to get back into doing it because I had done it a few years ago and then I started doing it again in May. And so after doing it for probably a month or two of like actually putting it in the measuring and measuring, I can kind of eyeball it sometimes. So like when I don't necessarily have the containers or I'm not in the environment for them, I can still kind of go, that's about what a serving would be in the container. Mm -hmm. So that helps. It helps make it more of a lifestyle instead of I'm on a diet that I have to stay by. It helps make it more of a livable lifestyle.
1: Right. Yep. And and I think once you start recognizing your portions, um and there's a difference in a portion and a serving, but it it's it's interesting once you start recognizing like what a recommended serving size is. Um or I'm sorry, there's a difference in a in like a helping and a serving. So we talk about this with you may get a helping of something when you're at your house, um, but when you're serving food, like in the food industry, where you have a certain number of servings that are supposed to come from a meal, it really makes a difference because you realize that our servings and our portions are not the recommendations are not really they don't really align with what we typically would do at home. So oftentimes they're much smaller than what we would would typically help ourselves to if we're not paying attention
0: to portions or measurements, but. Very true. It's in it. And sometimes when you go out to eat, it's important to go ahead and split the meal in half, whether you share it with somebody or it just becomes your lunch the next day. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah. There are lots of tips and tricks on how to, to effectively do portion sizing and um, paying attention to servings. But the, The second point to that is talking about physical activity so nutrition and physical activity kind of go hand in hand so being physically active has more benefits than just weight loss and although weight loss is also a great bonus but it can help lower your blood sugar increase your sensitivity to insulin and promote improved mental health if you have been diagnosed with type 2 diabetes and are taking insulin it's important to work with your doctor to know your numbers and to know when it is appropriate time for you to begin exercise, given that your medication and your previous experience of physical activity can affect your ability to participate in aerobic or strenuous activity. So like you were talking about your friends or the person that you swam with, and she had type one, meaning that like her blood sugar after she exercised, her blood sugar levels were probably going to drop, right? So she was going to need... um insulin or she was going to need maybe a snack or something like that so she was going to need that snack so she could replace the the energy that was lost um and and people have to be conscious of that if they if they are diabetic and it's going to affect your blood sugar levels like that so to keep your numbers regulated you've got to work with your doctor to figure out all right what's it what's an okay number for me to get my blood sugar to so that way i don't have um a sugar drop or go into you know a diabetic emergency. So it's also important to incorporate a variety of types of exercise. So moderate to vigorous aerobic activity on most days for a total of 150 minutes per week. But it's also important to do some resistance exercising at least two to three times a week. So like yoga or weightlifting. You enjoy yoga, don't you?
0: Butter? I do. I'm actually about to start a yoga class.
1: Oh, awesome yeah and resistance exercise is just anything that you can do body weight training that way um or you can do like I said, weightlifting. so that's just providing resistance to your muscles and to your bones so you want to do that at least
0: two to three times a week so it's 150 minutes per week mm-hmm. does it have to be done in large chunks or could it be done in 10 minute chunks
1: yeah thankfully it doesn't have to be done in large chunks because sometimes we just we don't have 30 minutes that we can do um, you know, five days a week or whatever it may be. So if you don't have that opportunity, you can do it in 10 minutes per 20 minutes perch, whatever you have. So think about like the opportunities that you have to move. And those those opportunities add up over a week span. Mm-hmm. So taking a 10 minute walk on your lunch break or going for a walk in the morning or when you get home um in the afternoon. So again. The key there is that it's moderate to vigorous. So we're not, we're not going for like a leisurely stroll here. Like we're, we're trying to increase our heart rate a little bit. So just keep that in mind, even when you are doing those kind of smaller um, spurts of exercise.
0: Yeah. So that's helpful to know that it could just be a 10 minute break while I have a 40 minute lunch break, yep. Take 10 minutes of it to just go for a small walk, which I don't know. One way that I've done that in the past is if you're on the phone, just take your phones on a cell phone so you can just go walk around while you're on the phone.
1: Yep. Um, And the last point I wanted to make in our modifiable risk factors is just to know that weight loss is work, but the benefits are numerous. So studies have shown that people with prediabetes need to lose at least 7 percent to 10 percent of their body weight to prevent disease progression, and even greater weight loss than that can translate into greater benefits. So seven to 10% does not seem like a huge amount. So when you set a goal for yourself, you wanna start off with some smaller attainable goals. So not to say that you're gonna stop at 10% weight loss, but truthfully, if you can get that first seven to 10% weight off, you're already starting to incorporate some of those lifestyle changes And so it's going to be a little bit easier for you to continue that process. Um, But just that first seven to 10 percent is already going to be proven to help um, to slow that disease progression.
0: Oh, yeah. And and the weight loss, it's hard work, but it all goes back to how are you looking at that exercise or your portioning sizes and going ahead and pre-portioning like I think that's one of the biggest things when you make a meal or add a meal, go ahead and serve your portions and then go ahead and put the rest of it away. Because then you're not really tempted to go back and get seconds because then you have to if it was a hot meal, you have to then heat it back up, get it all back out. So like that's some of that way that you can help start that lifestyle shift of finding the things that create opportunities for you and making sure you follow through for some smaller goals for yourself. So our objectives were, we talked and defined about what diabetes is. There are three different types of diabetes that can exist. And then we talked about the risk factors. So there are some things that we can't control, but there are definitely some things that you can control. And then looking at some ways to modify your lifestyle. And it may be something that you're having to break a cycle of what you learned in your childhood of changing a certain lifestyle or making sure you incorporate exercise or specific foods or things like that. Um, It's also knowing that when you're trying foods, it could take you 20 times to actually like something. Very true.
1: (laughs) Some things are an acquired taste.
0: They come along. So what would you say that that call to action or call to challenge would be? for people after listening to our discussion on diabetes today?
1: Yeah, so even if you you don't have someone that's in your family, or truthfully, if you just don't know what your risk is, there's a a quick one-minute pre-diabetes risk test to find out where you stand. So the CDC, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, has a quick little pre-diabetes risk test. So you just answer a few questions and it'll basically tell you where you're at um, and if you need to go in and talk to a doctor about your risk for prediabetes.
0: Oh, yeah, for sure. And I challenge people to do that. I taught a class one time and the wife came with the husband just to be a supporter of the husband. And she actually came in with a higher risk score than her husband did. Oh, wow. So they ended up doing it together because she's like, well, I guess I'm in it with you for real. So I would challenge you take it just to see where you stand because there's definitely things at that stage that you can do for, pre- for preventive measures and modifications that won't make you transition into dealing with type 2 diabetes. So thank you guys for tuning in today to the second intent nutrition episodes. And today we talked about that diabetes. So I challenge you to really look at it and make some of those modifications. Thanks and have a great day. That brings us to the end of this episode of Stacked Intent. If you loved this episode as much as I did, head on over and rate and subscribe so you will never miss an episode. New episodes are going to be dropped on Thursdays. Until then, this is Becca, and don't forget, enrich your life by being intentional. This podcast was created, produced, and recorded and edited by Stacked Intent.